And now, my guest for number 200, Mistress Carrie. Mistress, what is your bidding? Hi. So, uh, for those of you who have been, you know, following Oscar Mike Radio for a long time, Mrs. Carey was so gracious to come on for number 64 and 100. And it seems like yesterday where we were talking about veterans being butthurt for you taking a photo, one photo with Elizabeth Warren, to, to now, and a whole bunch of stuff has happened during that time. Just welcome back to Oscar Mike Radio. I really feel honored that you're here right now. Thank you so much, and congratulations on number 200. I just launched my own podcast, and 200 episodes is nothing to gloss over. So congratulations. That's a huge milestone for you. Thank you very much. Uh, I definitely want to talk about your podcast. But um, suffice to say, let's get people caught up here, that a lot has happened in a hundred, you know, two years since we've talked. And, you know, a lot of people want to focus on the fact that you worked for WAF, and that's no longer in play and you know we can talk about that but one thing started happening folks is you started doing this thing with your cell phone on weeknights where you would talk to people including myself for an hour or so and it became a thing and just to start this off you're sitting there there, there's your your, waf is no longer there and it's sad there's no music going on period what got into your mind to say, hey, I want to get my cell phone out and just talk to people? I woke up in a world that was unrecognizable. I've been joking that I was social distancing and, and unemployed before it was cool because of the coronavirus, because it happened for me a few weeks before the virus really became a thing. And I went, I got three days notice that my 29-year career at WAF was coming to an end. And so to wake up to that realization that a place I had been going to in one way or another, an intern, a promotions person, an on-air talent, whatever, I had been going into the offices of WAF since I turned 18 years old. I don't know an adult life that doesn't include WAF. And I don't know a music lover's life that doesn't include WAF because even when I was a kid, just discovering the music that I grew to love, WAF was part of that whole process as well. So, you know, I, I, I don't mind talking about it because not talking about it would be like most of my life didn't exist. And I've had to make that transition from being really, really sad that it's gone to learning to be so happy that it ever happened in the first place. And that process has been difficult at times and emotional at times. And, you know, the week after the radio station shut down, the world was still pretty normal. And I went to Vegas to a convention with new business cards and was, you know, networking, trying to get a job. And then the week after that, I started going on job interviews and I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm just going to end up just getting another job. Even if it took me a couple of months that, oh, I'll have a, I'll have a couple nice months off And I'll be able to enjoy, you know, some summertime weather and some motorcycle riding or something. And then I'll just go back to work. And then all of a sudden, 
we went from there's this really bad virus somewhere far away to you can't leave the house. I hope you have enough toilet paper. And that transition happened really fast. And for me, I was so self-absorbed in just trying to figure out my own life and where, where I was going and what I was doing that when all of a sudden everyone's lives became disrupted and no one's life was normal anymore and that I wasn't alone in that experience. I mean, of course, I had people like Mike Shu and other people from the radio station that were going through it with me from the beginning. But when the coronavirus hit and it became a crisis here in Massachusetts and across the United States, I all of a sudden started thinking to myself, okay, number one, I don't have a normal anymore. And number two, yeah. And number two, I'm not alone in this crisis because everyone's lives are turned upside down. And so that's when I started my company and started really thinking about what is going to happen to me if the world is disrupted long-term, how am I going to survive? I'm used to being essential, right? You work in media. If there's a snowstorm, you're expected to be at work anyway. If there's a marathon bombing, you're there. 9-11, you're there. It didn't matter if I worked at a rock radio station or not. At least the last 22 years of my life, I've been on the air where there has not been an excuse as to why I wasn't in that studio behind that microphone commuting, communicating with my audience. And so all of a sudden now, I don't have a microphone. I don't have an audience, or at least I thought so. I don't have a purpose. I don't have that essential reason to get out of bed leave the house, I became just another person self-quarantining at home. And I was like, I don't even know what to do right now. So I started thinking, okay, if this is going to happen long-term and the world is really changing, the music industry, everything that I know, my entire business is unrecognizable. What am I going to do? So that's why I started my company. I started working on the plans to put the Mistress Carrie podcast underway. And a lot of these things take a lot of logistics. Like I was used to working for a big company and, and having engineers and lawyers and accountants and production people and graphic people and digital and social media people. I was just part of a massive machine. For me to be able to carry on now, I had to learn how to do everything myself and to take for and, and to, to take the opportunity of all the favors that had been offered to me and all of the favors that I had given and say, okay, I need you to repay those favors now. And to really cash in on all of that and go, how am I going to move forward now? So in the midst of all of that, to be long-winded and answer your question finally, get to the point, Carrie. Um, one of the people that I worked at the radio station with was helping me put audio together and start formulating what would become the Mistress Carrie podcast. And he was like, you know what, Carrie, like it wouldn't be a bad idea for you to just pop on Facebook or something or Instagram live or something 
and just kind of tell everybody that you're okay. I mean, you're posting stuff on social, but nobody's really seen you that much. And maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea. And I have a room in my house called the war room that's been called the war room for a decade since I bought this house. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You told me about that during uh, number 100. You went into depth about what that room meant to you. Yeah. I love that room. And everyone that comes to the house, that's the room where they just, they want to have a really good glass of something. They want to have a great drink and there's a television in there, but I'll tell you in 10 years, I may have turned it on a half a dozen times and otherwise, it, it's just a room with a wood stove and a bar that has comfy furniture and a lot of things to look at. And you just want to sit back with your friends and have great conversation. And it's always been that room in the house for me. So I poured myself a drink on March 14th. And I, you know, sent out a thing on Twitter and stuff that says, hey, pour yourself a drink and join me for a cocktail in the war room, which are things that I've said to people for years that, hey, come on, come on in and have a cocktail in the war room. Like this is a phrase that I have said for years to my friends. This is not new. This is not new, but I never intended it to become a thing. And then I got on Facebook Live and all of a sudden started watching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people sign on. And that initial, I think it was a 17-minute video that I did on March 14th, had like 11,000 viewers. That's, yeah, it was insane. And I was like, what, what is going on? And all I could say was like, hey, guys, like, I wanted to let you know what's going on. I want to let you know that I'm working on stuff. How are you doing? This coronavirus thing is kind of crazy. And the comment section was just people, this outpouring. It was like a tidal wave of love and support and caring and I was like wow like I've been locked in my house for weeks not just because of the virus but because I had nowhere else to go I was in crisis mode and it went so well and it was so awesome that I was like you know what like people were saying well maybe you'll come back and do it next week and come back tomorrow you should do this again and so the next night I just started doing it and it it, it was like an avalanche. Like as soon as you got the snowpack to move a little bit, you couldn't stop it. There were times watching it because, you know, I'm working from home now. Stuff's completely changed for me and, and, and my kids and everything else. There were nights where I'm like, okay, this, this, this feels like I'm with my grandpa and he's waiting for his favorite radio guy to come on. It was Garrison Keillor at the time. And we're going to have like, a show and you know here here here's this woman purple hair with the goth pug we'll get that here in a minute <laughs> wednesday wednesday and people are really responding to it and i just want to dig a little bit on this because some nights you could tell that you were you needed to be on there with us some nights you could tell people were waiting to have some kind of outlet to talk to you know, you and everybody else about, hey, what's going on in their day? And then some nights, it seemed like you couldn't wait yourself to come on with us. Like you needed us just as much as we needed you sometimes. And did I read that right? Or 100%. Yeah. 100%. I, I won't lie and say that every night, there were nights where personally I was having a hard day. Um, there were nights where I was struggling with personal issues that everyone was, was dealing with. Um, you know, I've talked about it a little bit. I try not to talk too much about it just yeah. because um, 
the nature of things, but uh, my partner in crime, my boyfriend, is still active duty and is not stationed near here. Um, and so that distance uh, is really hard sometimes. And um, I found out shortly after the radio station went off the air that he was getting deployed again. And so um, dealing with the loss of my job, the financial uncertainty that comes with all of that, trying to navigate all of those processes of unemployment and health insurance. And I had a dentist appointment scheduled because I needed a filling and uh, I had to postpone it because I had to be on the air one of the last two days of the radio station and the rescheduled date kept getting pushed back. So I had a filling that I needed to get and I couldn't go to the dentist. And like all of those just regular things, they oh, compound. Yeah. And this is not something that is exclusive to me. This is what happens to anyone when things are going wrong. It's like they just keep going wrong until they don't anymore. And so there were nights where I was dealing with the separation of the person I count on, all of the financial pressures and the uncertainty of not just me, but my entire industry. So everyone I worked with, Everyone that I come in contact with, band managers, record companies, concert promoters, advertisers, everyone that is in the industry that I have worked in my whole life is now in crisis. I can't talk to anyone that's not in crisis right now. I'm starting to get word from people that they know um, people that are sick. And I'm in my house. I have nowhere to go. And even if I had somewhere to go, uh, I couldn't go there. Um, I've got family that lives in the city downtown um, that I'm trying to figure out, okay, are you going to be able to stay where you're at? Can I make accommodations and get to you to get you here to stay with me? Is that something that's going to happen? Um, there's a pandemic and I don't have health insurance. Like there's all of this stuff. And so there were nights where I was like, I can't possibly get on the internet and talk to anyone right now. And then the exact opposite would be true the next day. Like, I need someone to talk to. There were many nights that I got in the war room having had passionate disagreements with people in my life that I love, family, friends, about the virus and politics and all of this kind of stuff. And I felt like if I could go in the war room and say, okay, guys, you're locked in the house, you and your wife, maybe your kids. Is there a difference between how men are looking at the virus and how women are looking at the virus? Because I believe there is just based on the response. I know it's not scientific, but based on the response I got from the war room, there was a distinct difference between how men were looking at it and how women were looking at it. And I was like, okay, well, if you're in a heterosexual relationship where you live together, how, if this difference is so striking, how are you quarantined in a house with this person that you vehemently disagree with? And I was asking legitimately because I'm having these same kind of conversations. And that connection with this group of people that kept telling me, I need this distraction. 
I need this place to come at the end of the night. I need this drink and this quiet time because my kids are crushed that they're not in school and I don't know how to explain this to them. Um, I'm laid off. My husband's furloughed. We're worried about making the mortgage. I don't know if my job, I'm a nurse and I'm afraid to go to work. I mean, the concerns ran the spectrum. Right. And there were nights where I was like, not only do I need to be here, but they're telling me they need me. And that gave me purpose again. That made me feel like that essential employee that I had always been at the radio station. I wasn't doing anything different except that I was doing it with my cell phone instead of doing it with a microphone. You had your cell phone and Wednesday around your heels and your lap. Yeah. That was part of the fun. And then, you know, watching it, you know, people started sending you stuff and, and all of a sudden this, this didn't become just a, an hour with Mistress Carrie. This became a, a movement, a family. And how did that make you feel to see the response start to really, you know, help you and help everybody else? Well, in the process of starting a company, right, and trying to put your life back on track, there's just things you have to do. So I had to register my company and then you need to get a bank account. Well, in order to do that, you got to have a mailing address. And all of these things started to happen. And so um, I started getting people in the war room saying, I have something for the war room. I want to send it to you. So I gave out the mailing address and was like, well, you don't have to send me anything. But if you're asking, here's an address you can send it to. And I'll, I'll never forget the first time I went to empty the mail at the post office. And what was that like? So I got a really small post office box because I wasn't expecting to get a lot of mail there, right? So I, I go to the post office box and I open it and it's filled with these yellow cards, which means there's something that came for you that doesn't fit in your box. So you have to go over to the door and give them all the yellow cards and then they will bring out whatever it is that was too big to fit in your box. So I open up the post office box and I pull out all these yellow cards and I was like, what the hell? And then in my brain, I thought, well, I just opened this post office box. Now I'm getting flooded with like junk mail, I guess, right? Because I don't know. And then all of a sudden they open this door and they come over with a dolly with all of these boxes. And they're like, do you need any help getting this outside? And I was like, what the hell is this? And they were like, we don't know, but it came to you. And at that moment, when I started looking at the boxes, right, and taking them off of the dolly and just started looking at the names, I started recognizing names from the comments of the war room. And it became very clear to me that, oh my God, these are gifts. These are things that people in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of this horrible time, thought enough to either go online and spend their hard-earned money and order it and have it shipped to me, or they put something together and they made it and they put it in a box and then they went out to the post office and mailed it so that I would get it. And I was overwhelmed and I brought it all home and I laid it all out on my dining room table and I've joked about it in the war room a bunch of times because Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports, um, he was locked down doing these unboxing things because people were just sending him like thousands of packages 
And I had been watching some of them just because it was insane, some of the stuff that people were sending them. And I thought it was really funny. And I was like, if I open these in the war room live, A, people are going to think I'm trying to steal from Barstool, which is not what I'm doing. And B, anybody that knows me really well knows that I am a five-year-old when it comes to presents. And I just want to open them immediately. I hate... And hated it as a kid, looking at presents wrapped under the Christmas tree like a week before Christmas that I couldn't open. Like, that drives me crazy. And so I was like, I have to open them. Like, I have to open them right now. And then there's always that twinge in the back of your head that's like, what if it's something terrible? Because I've dealt with problems in the past at the radio station with stalking and kind of all of that kind of stuff. And um, it leaves an impact on you. It, it leaves a lasting effect. And so there was that little voice that was like, there might be something in here that maybe someone would hope you would open it live on the internet. And so I was like, well, that, I don't want that to happen. So, I, but the most of it was, I just can't fucking wait to see what's in these boxes. So I opened the boxes and they were like the most amazing thing. Like someone baked me cookies and then I was like, God, I hope they didn't spike these things because like, because you just don't know, don't know right? Don't know. You don't know. I, I don't want anybody that sent me anything from the war room to think that I think you're bad people. It's just, you've got to understand the industry that I've been working in for the last 22 years and weird things happen and bad people are out there. But then there were the most amazing things, um, custom made coffee cups and um, copper mugs because I love to drink uh, Moscow mules in the war room sometime and uh, family members pictures and the most beautiful letters from people and their kids and uh, stickers and you sent me a t-shirt and I just started getting all of these amazing things and then I'd be like oh my god it's only three in the afternoon like why isn't it 8 30 I want to show everybody all of this awesome stuff I told you I have a problem with like anticipation. Like I just, I want to do it right now. I hate waiting for stuff. And so it, it became this warm blanket of, of love. It was like a hug that I was getting through the mail. And I was like, wow, this is, this is unreal. And then I'm taking pictures and I'm texting them to like my boyfriend or family members. Like you are not going to believe what happened to me at the post office today. Because you, you did, and, and I'm like, oh my God, there's a car full of stuff. Yeah. Not just like a, like a backpack, like a car full Whoa, of stuff. Oh, I have an SUV, and I had an SUV full of stuff. Crazy stuff. And like, I found joy in all of it. I found joy in the bubble wrap that you wrapped the presents in, because I'm like at home, bored, doing nothing, and now I'm like, I got bubble wrap. So I'm running around the house chasing Wednesday with the bubble wrap because for the most part, she's been my companion through all this. And I think anyone that has a pet has really found a greater love for their animals in this time and that companionship and, and how much it means so much so that so many of the shelters were empty because people were volunteering to foster and adopt animals because they were looking for that kind of companionship. And oh my God, Wednesday got so many presents in the mail. Somebody had to send me a giant basket to hold all of the toys 
that Wednesday was getting in the mail. Now, I had started a, an Instagram page for her last summer. And as a total joke, because my friends were like, you got this new puppy and you won't stop taking pictures of her. We're shocked you don't have an Instagram page for her. And I was like, totally doing that. So, but she had it. And like, the only people that followed it was like me and a few other people. It was a no big deal. And then I started joking about her Instagram. And then somebody in the warm was like, what's her Instagram handle? She's got like 800 followers on Instagram now. Like, my dog is Instagram famous. And so all of a sudden now, there's all these toys. They make all these different noises. We were nicknaming the dog toys in the war room. Uh, some nights, all she wanted to do was be in the war room with me and running around and knocking the pillows off the couch. And other nights, she'd be laying on the couch in the other room, not wanting anything to do with me. She wouldn't come when I called her. It was just a day-by-day -day thing, but that's what made it kind of funny. Because and it did show up. It was like, Wednesday's here. Yay. Yay. And yeah, right. Everybody's like, it, it was great. It was great. Yeah, it's really, really um, hilarious. And I love how much everyone loves her because she brings me so much joy. And I'll tell you, she has become a different dog because I've been home so much. You know, she always had her Grammy that would come and take care of, you know what I mean? Like she's never, when I was working 12, 15 hour days at the radio station, Wednesday was never locked in a cage somewhere for 15 hours. Like she's the most spoiled dog on the planet. But the fact that I've been around so much, her and I's relationship, like she's just a different dog now. No, no I got to ask, I got to ask just, and this has always been mine. You, when I picture you, I picture you with like a Rottweiler pit bull with like a purple spike collar on. I never <laughs> thought you'd go with a pug, but I know some pug owners who are like passionate about the pug. So what is it about a pug that really- Pug people are weird. <laughs> That's all it is. Pug people are weird. Uh, Morgan from Seven Dust had a pug. Rob Zombie had a pug. Yeah. Uh, Meigs from Cold Chambers had pugs. Like, there are a lot of people in rock that have pugs, and they're really quirky, weird dogs. I have always loved them. Growing up, I just thought they were hilarious, and I always was like, I, originally my dream was to have two pugs and two English bulldogs, and I wanted to call them John, Paul, George, and Ringo. And that was my dream, that I was going to have these four snorting, farting, drooling dogs. And I made it halfway there. I got two pugs that I raised from puppies. Um, they, since, you know, they're, they're long gone, but lived to be 16, both of them. Yeah, pugs live a long time if you take good care of them. But pugs are less hyper than like a Boston Terrier. Oh. Um, they're super affectionate. They're really smart sometimes, but they are wonderful around kids and super playful. Their faces are so expressive and they're just funny. They're like little drunk aliens trapped in these dog bodies. Now, the original two dogs that I had were very opposite. One, I felt like was a person reincarnated as a dog 
who was so excited to do dog things, right? So it was like, are we going to play fetch? Look, I'll sit. I want to give you my paw. I'm going to roll around in the grass. All he wanted to do was dog stuff, but he was going to be the best at doing the dog stuff. And then the other one, his partner in crime, she was like a dog that desperately wanted to be a person. And so she used to sit like a person. She didn't want to get her feet dirty. And so I had these two little, like, weird alien old men. It was like Waldorf and Statler from the Muppets, like, trapped in these dog bodies. And their personalities are just hilarious. And every one of them is a little bit different. And Wednesday, I think, is a little bit of both. She loves doing dog stuff, but she's super mischievous and she's really playful for about 15 minutes and then she needs a nap. And so I am all about not having a dog that's super hyper and super active. It just didn't fit my lifestyle for a long time. And now I just love being snuggly with her and she's super affectionate and fun and I can take her out in my garden with her and the poops are small, which is good. That is well. That is true because yeah, small poops carpet bomb a yard if you're not careful. Yeah, small poops. It's a good thing. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're we are getting you know introduced to the Goth Pug Wednesday, you know all the stuff, and you know we we the family has some like inside jokes with, you know let's just start with the, the obvious one the bag of dicks. It's yeah, like you got oh my the bag God. of dicks. And Monica all, and the bag of dicks, so awesome. I mean, oh, that was just epic. You're going crazy over I a couldn't literal... stop laughing. I'm like, that's freaking insane. And why? They should sponsor you. Yeah, we've been emailing. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, we've been, yes. we've been emailing. I'm trying to work it out right now. I'm trying to work it out. Because shoe, I mean, just, just had a, it was like a conveyor belt. It was one of those days. Like, first of all, the cocktails in the war room thing. You know, I've seen comments from people that are like, she's drunk all the time. It's like, first of all, you don't know me very well because I'm like this stone cold sober. I'm just weird normally, okay? And I've never been a huge drinker. I mean, I'll throw down at a party if there's a reason, you know? I'm not opposed to having a really good time, but I'm not someone that drinks constantly. I've always been that person at the backstage party that was working. I always was the responsible one, believe it or not. And so I'm not that big of a drinker. And so you get a drink or two in me and I just get the giggles anyway. And it just, the bag of dick showed up on one of those days where I just needed to laugh. And then it felt so good to laugh that I couldn't stop. And then reading the comments of everyone else that's like, oh my God, your laugh is killing me. I'm crying over here. My stomach hurts. Please stop saying bag of dicks. I'm going to die laughing. That made me laugh even harder. And so I felt like I was in a crowded room and someone just said something really funny and we were all laughing together, even though I know that's crazy because I was in the room by myself. But when I'm in the, room, the war room, I don't feel like I'm in there alone. So I love the fact that we all were kind of laughing together and 
um, that it's become this long-standing joke. And I love that there's this whole, because it's not just the people that are in the war room with me every Tuesday now. Like there's a whole group of people that are in like these secret society fan pages now. It's like amazing. So if I may, mistress, I'm a member of one of those and we call ourselves the family. Aww. I have Sunday night church service. Not, it's not like the Charles Manson family. It's like no, a good family, right? Family. Yeah. We have, we have the Hot Mess Express, that's Brianna, and we have uh, the Sorceress of Cool and Magical Things, Krista. So I do Sunday night church service because the church is the body of Christ, and we are coming together, all different kinds of people to have connection. So... This, this is becoming a movement now where, where people really bought into it. And it was kind of funny, you know, we get the family going, we get other things going. And then for me, where you kicked it into high gear or fourth gear, because fifth gear on a motorcycle is kind of like overdrive, is when the shirts came about. And that is when I think, maybe it's just me, but you twisted the throttle and said, we are off to the races. What was that like getting the shirts going in the war room? I think everyone can understand the feeling of being useless. We talk about it a lot in the war room, right? You're, you're isolated in your house. You really can't do much. And I don't like feeling like I can't help or do anything. I hate feeling useless. And so all I could do was donate blood. And I had to wait like three weeks to get the appointment. And it was like, well, if that's one thing that I can do, that will at least make me feel like I'm doing my part. And so my friend Christine is a graphic designer and her husband is an artist. And they had been, um, you know, kind of navigating me through like, oh, I should probably get some new artwork done. And, you know, my podcast when it comes out is going to need a picture and it's going to need graphics. And so I probably put some thought into what I want that to look like. And again, I have never been in a position where these decisions were mine to make alone. It's always been me and my image, but it was always tied to the radio station. So that meant there was always a committee. There was always bosses, corporate approval, meetings, graphic designers, legal. I mean, there was just always a process. And now I'm like, oh, you mean if I don't actually start this process, no one else is going to? There's a whole learning curve to doing this all yourself. And so I called them one night at like 8.30 at night. Thank God, I'll just say this. There are people in my life that I have known. I... I am lucky to have amazing groups, groups of friends from all different aspects of my life. But I got really lucky growing up that I made friends with people starting in kindergarten that I am still friends with to this day and still talk to them all the time. Their kids call me auntie. We spend holidays together. We, we have been on more late night drunken Zoom calls since Corona showed up. And so I am so lucky and fortunate that these people have been through literally everything with me since high school and before. And I'm really lucky that when I call them at 8.30 at night, they pick up the phone. And so I called them and I was like, guys, I got this idea. 
we had talked about it in the war room about, well, when this all blows over later, maybe we'll put a charity event together and we'll all get together at a bar. We'll get a band and we'll charge 20 bucks to get in and we'll donate it to a veterans charity or something. And everybody was like, yeah, we should do it and whatever. And then, of course, the virus just kept getting worse. And we realized that that eventuality of getting together for real and real life was just getting pushed further and further away. So I called him one night and I was like, guys, what do you think? Like, I know we're working on artwork for the podcast and stuff right now, but do you think that we could come up with some artwork for the war room? And if we could, I have a friend that has a t-shirt company that I know is really hurting because of the economy right now. And if I could get some artwork to him, he could get me an estimate on some shirts and I could figure out is there a way for me to sell these online? Is there a way for me to ship them from my house? Is there a way for me to pull this off with the world basically shut down? And could we do it? And my friend Neil said, um, I don't know, like a martini glass with a hand grenade in it? And I was like, yeah, exactly like that. Like exactly like that. He's like, yeah, just no olive, but like a hand grenade instead. And I was like, why am I not artistic like that? Why can I not just spit out the most perfect visual idea? But, but he can. And he's like, hold on, I'm scratching. I'm, I'm drawing it out on a paper towel right now. And then she's like, oh, okay, well, like this. And, oh, well, I could do that. And blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, give us, give us some time. I'm like, okay. And like the next week they were like, and in the war room, right? Because I don't want to tip my hand on anything too early because you guys can't keep a secret. And so I can't tell anybody that I'm kind of working on it, but I'm like, I just kept saying, guys, trust me when I tell you that just because you think that I'm just drunk on the internet in the war room every night doesn't mean I'm not actually doing stuff. I'm doing stuff. Just be patient. And I'll tell you when I have everything together and Meanwhile, my studio is getting constructed and that had all started happening. And then the next week they emailed me and, and we got on a video conference and they were like, what do you think about this? And they were the ones that came up with the font and the sniper's reticle and the martini glass with the hand grenade. And because I, I was like, the only input I could give them was, I want the shirts to be black. It's got to have some purple in it and it's got to, with me, it's like, I love a lot of that. Um, I love really clean design. I don't like a lot of clutter. I don't want it to be too busy. You can see that with the podcast artwork. You can see it with the war room artwork. I really like it to be less is more. And they showed that to me and I was like, that's it. I'm like, are you sure you don't want a different version? I was like, nope, that's it. And so I called Brian and I said, I'm sending, I'm going to put you on an email so that I had the graphics people and the t-shirt people on the email together. And they started going back and forth about nerdy Pantone colors and screen print. And I was like, guys, I don't even know what you're talking about. Just tell me if this is all possible. And then he gave me the prices. He's like, this is what I can do it for. And, and I said, listen, part of the t-shirt process is that I want it to do good from point A to point Z and everywhere in between. So I was like, Brian, don't cut me this discount where you're not making any money. Like part of it is trying to 
help your business stay afloat right now. And that's going to be part of the mission when we announce these shirts is that everyone knows that every penny of this shirt is going to do good from the American cotton that they're printed on to the design happening locally in Massachusetts to them being printed in New Hampshire to having them be shipped through the post office so that we're keeping postal employees working. I wanted every bit of it. And then I was like, whatever's left over that would normally go in my pocket, that's what we're going to donate to a charity. And we had talked so many times about how amazing that Food for Vets program has been. Absolutely, yeah. And all the great work that they were doing. And I was like, that's a no-brainer. That's where we're sending the money. And again, I was chomping at the bit to be able to tell everybody this is what's going on. And when I finally figured out that PayPal was going to be the only way that I could do this in a timely manner because my website's not finished yet. It's in the process, but it's not finished yet. And there was no other way to do it. And I was like, guys, I'm doing this alone in my house. I'm ordering the shipping supplies. I went to the post office. They told me this is what it's going to cost. Let's just do this. My goal was to sell 300 shirts in three weeks. And I thought 300 shirts will be a couple thousand bucks or whatever to the charity. And it'll put some money in the t-shirt company's account. It'll put some money in the graphics account. We'll send it through the post office. We're going to use some American-made t-shirts and we're going to do a little bit of good. At least when you wear that shirt, you're going to feel like you did something good. How many did you actually sell, though? Because it was We sold 280 in the first three hours. And then I started worrying, what have I done? Because then I was like, oh, my God, am I going to die buried under a collapsed giant pile of T-shirts in my house? Like, how am I going to do this? And again, people in my life that love me were like, Carrie, we'll put masks on. We could set up tables in the driveway on a sunny day. We are going to come over, socially distance, be careful, but we are going to help you print these t-shirts. I mean, we're going to help you package these t-shirts. Don't worry about it. And that's what made me go, all right, I think I can handle this. I think I can handle it. So we put in the initial order. In three days, we sold 414 shirts. That's amazing. And so that original 414 shirt order went to Brian at Whirlwind Productions that Monday morning. So between Friday night and Monday morning, we sold 414 shirts. And, you know, Brian was like, well, how many do you think? And I was like, I don't know, Brian, like I'm hoping 300 shirts. And he was like, you know what, that little bit of money right now, like that's going to help me keep the lights on. Like if you could sell that many shirts, that is game changing for me right now. That would be amazing. So that night when I pulled the report at midnight and sent him an email because he joins us in the war room a lot too, just because he and I have been friends for years and years. And I was like, dude, we sold 414 shirts. And he was like, what? What do you mean? And I said, so I'm going to submit this order right now. And luckily, because they, it was done electronically, I had the money already. So I was able to give him the money to order the actual blank T-shirts so that he didn't have to go into debt to order those shirts to get him to come in so he could print them. So I was like, here, here's the money to order the shirts. I'll pay you the balance when I pick them up. And he was like, that's fine. 
And then I said, I'm going to keep the t-shirt orders open until the end of May. And however many we sell, that's how many we sell. I'm going to tell everybody we're cutting it off. And we sold, um, I think it was 786, give or take. So it's just under 800 shirts altogether. And so after paying the PayPal fee, which you can't get away from paying an electronic commerce fee, no matter how you do anything electronically now. Um, after paying that, buying the shirts, getting them printed, I picked them up like they didn't get delivered. I went up with my SUV and picked them all up. Um, after paying to get them all designed, after buying the labels from my poor little Dymo label printer, which is just on its last leg now because I've been abusing it, I had to buy labels, I had to buy envelopes. Um, the money that we had left over after the shipping at the post office, we were able to donate a little over $5,600 to the charity. Now, that was a really good moment to watch and see. And I did order a shirt, and it was really cool how you told us in the war room you're going to give a little something extra. And I, I get I get the shirt, and I'm like, well, I don't even know if I can put it on because I'm like, I, I want to frame it. Now, that's it for my little studio. But the stuff I got inside was like, it's like the extra stuff at the bottom of the Cracker Jack box. It was fantastic. First of all, I'm like, it's the, the photo of you holding the M240 golf. And I'm like, I fired that gun. And, you know, she looks like she's doing a pretty good job carrying that thing. That thing was so heavy. So that, it those, is pictures, heavy, isn't it? those pictures I had taken, they're, they're pretty old, but the great. So here's the little story behind the autographed pictures that everybody got. Um, that picture got taken as part of a photo shoot for a calendar at the radio station years ago. And when I went to Iraq in 2006 and then back to Afghanistan in 2011, I had a lot of different companies um, offer to help with whatever I needed to be able to make those trips happen. So everything from um, buying satellite phone minutes and computer equipment and somebody helped me. Brian printed all of the t-shirts. So anybody that is in the war room that has a cocktails in the war room t-shirt if I met you overseas in Iraq or Afghanistan and you got a Boston to Baghdad or an AAF to Afghanistan shirt, Brian printed those shirts. The same guy that printed the cocktails in the war room shirts, Brian printed those shirts. So there were a lot of businesses that helped me. And one of the businesses was Vader Drumsticks. It was a drumstick manufacturing company and they're used by a lot of really famous drummers. And um, they are here in Massachusetts. And their contribution to my trips overseas was that they paid to have all of those eight by tens printed for me so that I had something to sign and give the guys besides the t-shirt when I was overseas. So what happened was all of those pictures got printed and shipped overseas before I got there. So because, you know, I mean, you know, getting stuff overseas, it took like three weeks. So all of those pictures got sent ahead of time and we didn't know how many I was going to need. Whatever we didn't use got shipped back. So all of those pictures that you guys got with your t-shirts, those had either been in Iraq or Afghanistan and been brought back home with me. So those pictures have made the journey and I had them in these old dusty shipping boxes in my old office at the radio station. 
And when I had to move out of my office, I all of a sudden started finding stuff that I had had in cabinets and drawers for years. And I had all of these tubs of the old AAF bumper stickers. And I had those eight by 10 pictures. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm a pack rat and I know that. And I find sentimental value. Like the gifts that I've been given in the war room, like I cherish gifts. I know, who, you know, if you, if you took the time to give me something, that sentimental value comes with it. And so I save everything to a point where it's almost a problem, but it's not as of right now. And so I was like, you know what? No one is going to appreciate these things more than the people that are joining me in the war room because they're missing the radio station and they're missing me as much as I'm missing them and the station and the employees miss them. So I was like, you know what? If, if I have enough and my fear was that I was going to sell so many shirts that the people that got the original 414 were going to start showing everybody these bumper stickers and these pictures. And then I was going to run out of them so that the person that ordered the last shirt wasn't going to get anything. Like I was starting to panic because the shirts were selling so fast. But I was like, I think I am going to have enough to be able to give these little mementos that I know people will just appreciate. And then somebody asked if I signed all of those shirts myself or if I had a rubber stamp to do it. And I signed every single one of those pictures. That was part of the shipping process. And then everybody got a couple bumper stickers, either some commemorative ones from some different concerts or regular AAF shirt, uh, stickers from whatever incarnation the logo was at that time. And then I always had helmet stickers for people's motorcycle helmets. And so I found some of those. And then those eight by tens, I was like, you know, like these, I mean, the frequency is wrong. They're, they're old and outdated, but what am I going to do? Throw them away? I'd rather give them to people that appreciate them. And so we put them all in there. And then I was like, selfishly, okay, um, I probably should put something in there promoting my podcast or something because I'm sending all this direct mail. And then I was like, well, the first thing I need to do is make sure everybody knows where the money's going. So I was like, okay, so I'm going to pay to have the forms printed because I didn't want that to come out of the donation for the charity. And because I was going to be self-promoting with them, I was like, then I'm going to pay for it myself. And so I made the flyer to make sure that everybody understood how to get a hold of the charity, what they were doing with it, how, how they could get involved. And then at the bottom, I wanted people to know, hey, the podcast is coming. Here's where you can listen to it. And so that was like the extra little flyer that came with everybody's packages as well. And um, when I started a few days after my first trip to the post office, when I started getting people's tweets and their Instagram posts with the pictures of them wearing their shirts, holding up all of that stuff, it made me so happy. And the t-shirts now are this, they're this moment, you know, it's a physical manifestation of a bunch of strangers getting together to say, we are going to do something together, even though we're apart. And that's what those t-shirts mean to me. Well, it, it really kind of, you know, brought the war room into real life because people have something tangible, right? And then it was kind of a bridge to the podcast 
because after, it seemed like that's why I said after after the shirts came out, all of a sudden you were in fourth gear and the throttle was going to you know four thousand RPMs. You were you were totally in flight, and the podcast got going, which was like a real like oh my god, here it is, it's it's finally here. Before we talk about the podcast, so I'm kind of curious. You mentioned several times that this is like your thing, right? You know, you talk about your logo and, and you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I can understand because four years ago, that logo was something I put together. What truly has it been like? Is, it, is there any kind of, I don't, I don't want to say fear, mistress, but maybe some sustained uncertainty with the fact that, wow, this is really all me. And that's kind of like strange, but I'm free. I can yeah. do whatever I want. Now, fear is a good word. Okay. Fear is, it, 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 I'm not, I'm not. I'm not so. Um, well, I want to say you're a badass, but I mean, come no, on. no, no. But I'm, I'm not going to act like this hasn't been one of the scariest things I've ever gone through in my life. I mean, a few years ago, I went through a terrible divorce. This has been worse than that because there, it, there's so much tied to it, right? So, not only is it a career that I literally worked my way up from an intern fetching coffee to the assistant program director of a radio station that I grew up idolizing and loving. So my career was something that I poured all of my creative energy into. And I sacrificed so much with the long hours and the weekends and the holidays and all of the time with my family that I gave up. And I mean, trust me, I'm not complaining. I loved every minute of it. And there were a lot of great things and a lot of experiences I never would have had. But it's an all-including, overwhelming type of job and career that you don't just get to punch out at five o'clock on a Friday. It takes over your whole life. And at that point, when it's gone in the flip of a switch, you start wondering, am I still me? What is my purpose? What, what am I supposed to do now? I don't know what else to do. I was at WAF before I graduated from college. Like, this is all I know. And if that's not there anymore then do I still matter? Do I still have a place? And then when you start going, okay, well, like I said with the artwork and stuff, well, if I don't start doing it, there isn't going to be somebody that comes and does it for me. I don't have a team or a staff of people. I have to get out of bed, even though I'm sad, and say, here's my to-do list for the day. These are the phone calls I have to make. This is the list of things I need to check off today in order to move forward. And what I have learned over the years, unfortunately, um, is that my personality, for some reason, functions really well in crisis. And I don't know what that says about me. I don't know what kind of person that makes me, but I become one of those people that when the world starts going crazy around me, that's when I focus more intently and the world quiets down and things are very myopic and I can focus and be, a, I'm able to concentrate and I can be goal-oriented and driven and motivated. And for some reason, 
while other people fall apart, I am better in those situations than I am when everything's good. Because when everything's good, I'm like, um, what do I do? It's like, I know what to do when things are bad. When I, when I'm, when everything's good, it's like, I feel like I don't have a purpose or I'm just that person, I guess. And I don't know somebody, there's a psychologist out there that could analyze it and tell me that I'm a crazy person, but, um, so, oh, but the podcast did give you purpose. I mean, I mean, because you well, the war about, room gave me purpose first. Yeah. Yeah. True. So in bridging from the, the war room to the podcast, the war room started the purpose. Absolutely. The t-shirts kind of got the whole thing going. Yeah. And all but, the while the podcast was in the works, it was just something that was taking a lot longer to get going than I had thought it would, because there's just so many, like, I had to get the studio built. You know how hard it was to get all the equipment? Yes, delivered actually, yes. because every person that works in the media was ordering all of this equipment to be able to work from home. And there was a run on microphones and mixing equipment and cables and mic stands. I mean, you couldn't find that stuff anywhere. Well, well, I was calling in every favor like, dude, can you get me some microphones? Do you think you can get me some microphones? They weren't there. No, nobody had them. They weren't there. The mixer that I just replaced uh, wasn't there for months. And I'm like, what is going on? Is yeah, it's because every single person in media, every television anchor, every radio personality, everybody that was bored that decided they wanted to start broadcasting from home or like everybody just started buying all this equipment. So I'm yeah, building this studio. And all the newbies too, people who had never picked up a microphone before, I'm going to be a podcaster. So I'm like, what is going on? So it's crazy, yeah. right? So I'm, I'm the logistics of just building the actual room. And then it was, okay, well, I have to come up with a company and I need a bank account and a mailing address. And, oh God, I better talk to the accountant and he's telling me I need insurance. And then I got to, like, all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Like, this is, this is a full-time job now. And so getting all of that in place it's, it's like when you, you know, when you do home renovations, right? And you got to pull the drywall down and you got to do new wiring and you got to put insulation in, you got to do all this work. And for a while it looks worse than it did before. And then all of a sudden Damn. the new drywall goes up and the trim gets put in and a coat of paint gets put up and you're like, whoa, like progress. And that's what it was like. And so it happened really quickly, like what you're talking about. And you hit fourth gear. It's like the war room took off and then the t-shirts took off. And then I announced the podcast and then all of a sudden things just started moving, but it, that wasn't by accident. That was months of working towards it. It's just that all of a sudden everything started coming to a head at the same time. And that's when I really started getting energized and going, okay, all of this effort that no one has seen is finally going to be something tangible that I can say, see, this is what I told you I had been working on all this time. And once I was able to announce the podcast and get, again, get in the war room that night, it was like I was counting the minutes, like I can't wait to tell everybody, I can't wait. And to be able to announce it and to start, see, to start seeing people subscribing and downloading the first episode and getting the feedback. And people will say things like, I listen to you on my lunch break 
And it's like you're back on the radio again. It's like you never left. It's like my life is back to normal again. Or, you know, it's so nice to just hear you again. And it makes me think that things are going to be okay. And, and for me, I feel the same way because I don't really know what else to do besides sit behind a microphone and, and have conversations with people. And not being able to do that for a long time was really hard for me. And then it started to get to the point where I was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do the war room every night. And then all of a sudden I started feeling the panic from everybody going, but wait a minute, like, but this is what we do. What do you mean you're not going to do it every night? And I was like, yeah, but it's going to be okay. Like, we're going to have all this other stuff. Like, you're not going to want to see me every night. Trust me. Like, it's going to be okay. And the transition from... Yeah, and it was okay. And and that's what opened up all of these groups now that you're talking about where you guys have all found these relationships and friendships and camaraderie with people that you're like, well, just because Carrie only gets us together once a week doesn't mean we can't get together on other nights of the week and do something. And the fact that all of these different people were brought together by this happy accident is how I describe the war room. It's, it's a, literally a happy accident. It was never intended to be anything that lasted. It was never intended. And now it's a complete companion to the podcast that those two things are now fused together and something that we set up this week's podcast and I get to announce who is on the episode. And like we just did this week, we're able to debrief and do an after action report on last week's podcast this week. And I was able to get last week's guest to join us live in the war room this week with all this new technology now. And so the war room is taking on a life of its own and it's so much fun. It certainly was nice getting the after action report. I kind of want to pick your brain about the people who, who make this possible, uh, us metalheads, us, you know, rock and rollers, you know, I come from different parts of the country where different parts, different kinds of music are, are appreciated and enjoyed. But I challenge anybody to sit there and see a group like us metalheads getting together. And we don't care what color your skin is, who you voted for, what kind of bike you ride. We all just want to hang out and enjoy the music and come together and appreciate what that person on stage is doing. And, and why is it that it seems like we are leading the charge with being unified when, you know, other genres don't seem to do that. I don't see that in country music. I don't see that in the station that replaced WAF. It, it's, it's the, it's the metal, it's the metal heads, the misfit toys, the freaks, the, the weirdos like you and me who no one really. We don't well, that's them. why you answered the question is that we didn't belong anywhere else. So we had to kind of create our own community that no one else wanted to be a part of, right? We didn't fit in anywhere else. We didn't fit in with the top 40 pop kids. We didn't fit in with the cool kids in school, the, the country stuff. The, it, we just didn't fit in there. And so anybody that loves rock music and lives that lifestyle has always kind of operated on the fringes a little bit where you might not have looked like everybody else. And when you found that music that may have been a little dark and depressed or may have been really angry or in some cases just super happy party music, especially like in the mid to late 80s, 
that you just found this place and that you would go to these shows and it was just as much of an experience to walk around and look at people and see what they were wearing and to collect the t-shirts. And that shirt meant something. It, it, it was a badge of honor that you wore. It was almost a uniform. It was you declaring your identity. I love this band and what it says about me is why I'm wearing the shirt. Like, I love Iron Maiden and I'm wearing the shirt to tell you that I love Iron Maiden. And so, what's happening now is that society is becoming more and more fragmented, that we are being driven apart by these external forces, right? The, the extreme, extreme left and the extreme, extreme right are kind of playing everyone that exists somewhere in the middle against each other. And they're making you choose, well, if you believe this, then you're on this side. And if you believe that, you're on that side. And everybody that meets up in the war room, everybody that, that has existed in this kind of rock world, we've never fit in with anybody else's identity ever. So why the hell do we want to fit into yours now? And so we're the ones that have no problem going, yeah, no, that doesn't work for me. And so we're teaching everyone else. I think I talked to Tommy Vex from Bad Wolves about this, that we're teaching everyone else tolerance. These crazy, purple-haired, tattooed, face-pierced, motorcycle-riding freaks of nature are the ones that are the most accepting and they're just like, oh, you love Maiden too? All right, cool. Then great. That's awesome. Let's, let's go then. And I think it's a model for how people are going to need to move forward. And that's part of the reason why I started the podcast is that that community in this region and beyond was held together and brought together originally by WAF in a lot of ways. And while the company may not have seen the value in, in what WAF was, I do. And so I wanted to keep that community together and to give us all that meeting house, that clubhouse, that place where we could all still get together and say, hey, I want to talk about music or I want to talk about this or I want to talk about that. Or, hey, you know, if we all band together and buy T-shirts that we could help feed, you know, veterans during a pandemic, like we can do all of those things. And so I wanted to be able to have this, I call it a rock lifestyle podcast because it's not just music, but it's something that if you love the music, then you fit under the umbrella of everything else that we're going to talk about. And I started last week with the Jonathan Hill episode of the podcast and kind of stretching what the podcast can be besides just interviewing uh, the amazing bands that we all love. And the response was amazing. Yeah, that did seem like a stretch for you in certain aspects, but you killed it. You absolutely killed it. And I'm not just saying that, you know, for idle praise. You, you, I think for me, and I'll tell you honestly, I listened to the whole thing, but it was the last 15 minutes where he talks about how broken his body is and that eventually he lost his family. He, his wife and him went their separate ways and it had a real impact on his kids. When, when he got to that level, I felt you, like you really, you really got him to open up and feel safe in doing that in a way that a lot of people, you know, who serve and are dealing with that kind of 
of, of conflict in their lives and uncertainty don't. You know, they just are not going to tell a complete stranger that kind of thing. And that's where I'm like, you know, this, this, this is for real. This is getting going. And then the after action report was just awesome. I mean, when he said moist, I about <laughs> cracked up, about cracked up. So I really think there, there's, there's value there. And, you know, you, you have, you know, five podcasts, but I got to tell you, like everybody's told you before, it's like you never left the air, you know, that's that, what it feels like for me. Yeah. Is, is it like to me and just going back to date myself, I, I feel like, you know, when I'm, I listen to you and shoe that, that warm episode and shoes podcast that this is, if rush had to do it all over again, they might phrase it differently, but this is the spirit of radio still living. Yeah. I'm not trying to get sentimental, but that's kind of how I no, feel. It, it is. And it's, it's, it's all of the things about it that we love. I mean, I think there's a lot of other people that when you have the opportunity to talk to someone who's a legitimate war hero, like First Sergeant Jonathan Hill, I mean, there's just, there's no question. No, no, He's no. a legitimate war hero. And they're making a movie about a battle that he was in where he received a Purple Heart and a Silver Star. That the instinct would be, tell me every ooh and ah about the battle, right? I want to hear about every second of what you did and what happened. And, and my thought behind it was, I'm not going to do a better job than the book. And if you, and if you want to watch a two-hour movie about it, you're going to watch everything that he could possibly describe. But what I wanted was for people, especially bridging that gap between the military and veterans community and the civilian populace is that I really wanted to be able to make him human so that when you did watch the movie or you did read the book and his name came up, that you didn't just have this Rambo idea in your head, that you didn't just have this idea that he was just this big, larger than life guy with the bullets across his chest, standing in brass with some catchphrase like, I wanted, which is the same reason why I went to Iraq and Afghanistan, to make it personal for people so that they just weren't looking at these Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle dress dudes on CNN running around in the desert and it was, and you were able to disconnect. And so I wanted to get to, which I knew the movie wouldn't get into, how he ended up there in the first place. I wanted to know what his story of service was and why he joined and how he ended up through his years of service and training, how he ended up on that mountain in Afghanistan in 2009. But I also knew that the movie was pretty much going to end after the battle. You know, I mean, I hadn't seen it, but I looked at the IMDb page. And so I saw that the counselor had been cast, the female counselor that showed toward the end of the movie. So I was like, okay, they're going to show a little bit of what happened after the fact. But they're really not unless they give updates and during the credits at the end are going to get into where these guys are now. Right. They had to come home. What happens then? And so I wanted the podcast to answer those questions because I knew that everybody was just going to either read the book or watch the movie or both. And that all of the gory details about the 12 hour battle at cop Keating were going to be answered anyway. And I wanted him to touch on it from his perspective but the biggest thing was, if you listen to that podcast and then you rent that movie on demand, 
the first time you saw Sergeant First Class at the time, SFC Hill, you felt like you knew him. And then he can't be that Rambo character in the movie because now he's your friend. Now he's a real person and you know his story. And when people can make that connection with one person, it's a very easy line to draw that every person in that movie, in that battle, was a real person. That those men that were lost were real people and their families missed them and they're real. And if those guys in that battle were real, then every other battle and every other story, those guys are real too. And that is what I was hoping would happen. And so hearing from someone like you tell me that you thought I did a good job with the interview, that means the world because that means that my vision of how I wanted it to go, that I not only carried it out, but that I was right in the pursuit of it in the first place. Well, yeah, and I would add that the other thing that came clear was, and you touched on it, is there's, there's a cost to service. Uh, you don't just go in the service for four years, 20 years, or, or 13 years, come out the same person. It, it, there's an effect from being in there that takes on your body and your mind, your family that is overlooked. And I really like the way you kind of got him to talk about that, especially in the after action report and seeing how he's tried to rebuild his life after that. So uh, I just, I just like, wow. I mean, you know, what it, what is next? And that's the thing that I really, you know, to my, my viewers and listeners, you know, this is a person here, you know, to my, I think left, if we get the video right, it, it has, has walked, you walked your talk, you walked your talk from day one that I've met you. And, and just for the people out there, why is advocacy for the military and veterans so important to you? Well, I grew up in a family that served. My great grandfather served in the army of World War One. My grandfather, my mom's dad, was a radio operator in the Navy in World War II and then volunteered to go to Korea. My dad's best friend growing up um, that I called my uncle um, was drafted to go to Vietnam and came home uh, with a Purple Heart and still probably one of the worst cases of post-traumatic stress that I've ever seen. Uh, it's personal to you. It's incredibly personal to me. And... I was always raised that everybody kind of had their place and they, everybody kind of had to pull their weight a little bit. My dad um, was drafted, but because he was the only child that was over 18 and was running the family business, they wouldn't take him. And I saw what that did to him, that he wasn't allowed to serve because he had a, a minor brother and he was running the family business and providing for the entire family. And so his number came up, but they wouldn't let him go. And when he became a firefighter, a lot of the guys that he worked with were veterans. And my dad had a guilt about that. And so the medical issues that I've joked about many times with my two different size feet and the nerve damage, that has been my reality since I was a little kid. So being able to be in the military was not something that was ever even an option for me because I wasn't eligible. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to figure out what I can do because so many people in my family, especially, you know, a lot of the women in my family work in the medical field. They're nurses and uh, 
work in radiology departments. I mean, I am surrounded by people that are of service in their career. And I'm kind of the one that's like, hey, I tell dick jokes on the radio. You know what I mean? So it was like incumbent on me. And then obviously, and I've talked about this a lot, so I won't bore you with it, but knowing the audience of WAF was so much um, part of the military story and that there were so many guys that listened to AAF that were serving or that enlisted after 9-11 or that were recruited because they heard commercials on my radio station. Like, I was like, okay, well, those are my guys then. And so I got to do right by them in some way, shape or form. And so it's always been that way. I mean, two of my cousins joined the Navy um, because it was family tradition and they wanted to honor my grandfather and they wanted to serve and do their part. And that continues. And so, you know, now my nephew is um, in the Coast Guard and is active duty and I couldn't be more proud. And so there's just, it's like everybody's just got their own part they got to play. And so if, if this is my part, then, then, then I'm going to take it seriously and I'm going to make sure that I do it the best of my ability. And so that's what I'm doing. Awesome. Yeah, you had talked about that in previous podcasts and it's, it's worth bearing mentioning again. And, you know, this, this kind of leads me to this point where, you know, in some ways, the reason I like the whole cocktails in the war room story is it's kind of like a lot of us veterans who get out and are like, holy shit, or oh fuck. And that's right. You can, so we, we have these things on my podcast, Mistress Called, you know, FUK, uh, you know, pattern bombs, <laughs> spread them liberally, you know, crack them around <laughs> the whole place. And I love I'm, that. I'm the B 52 bomber. I'm a big, ugly, fat fellow. So it works. So I'm, you're like, holy fuck, I've got to reinvent my life. I, I, I don't know what to do. How do I do it? And, you know, some of us, everybody has a different story, but the ones who, like you said, okay, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to get an action plan and do it, kind of get some motivation and get some locomotion, get going. And I think the lesson that, that we got to see not just hear about in some you know speech somewhere we've got to see you actually go from nothing to this thing now applies to us in the military or to anybody it's a, it's a reintegration it's a it's a universal story but it really works well for people who sometimes get distracted so with that being said what's next <laughs> what is next mistress so I mean, as much as you can tell and and I can keep a secret yeah, no, you can't. Oh. Nobody in the war room can keep a secret. I know all about everybody. Um, well, the, the biggest thing right now for me is to really get the podcast established. And I think I made a big step forward with the war room this week, being able to bring in guests remotely, which is something that I've been working on the technology for the last six weeks or so, uh, really trying to make it look good, make it sound good. Uh, to be able to do it on my own so that I don't need to be dependent on anybody else to kind of pull it off. And what that does now is that it opens up the war room to either be, like we talked about, that companion piece to the podcast, or in some instances, something that stands alone. We could have guests that come into the war room that just don't even have anything to do with the podcast, that they just want to come into the war room. 
And actually what I'm thinking about doing, um, I actually spent some time kind of figuring out how I could do it today, is taking the after action report from the war room this week, taking the audio and putting it up as a bonus companion piece to the podcast for people that weren't in the war room with us. But to, to be able to make that audio available for people that may not have joined us in the war room that night that wanted to hear, you know, what John and his girlfriend, Johnny, thought about not only the podcast, but going through the weekend of that movie coming out. But what I loved is that you guys all got to meet him then. You got introduced to him with the podcast, but then you actually got to look at the guy that you heard. And then he becomes even more of a, of a real person and your connection with him only grows because you've seen him now and you see how humble he is and, and how shy he can be and how upfront and in your face he can be and opinionated he can be and how funny he can be. And so I want to be able to do more things like that with the war room. I know that um, there are going to come times when I'm not going to be able to be in the war room on a Tuesday night at 830. And so my goal is to be able to take the war room out on the road on deployment. So I'm hoping that eventually I'll be able to make a pseudo war room backstage at shows and be able to bring artists in live in person in the war room. But I know that there's a lot of bands that want to join us in the war room on Tuesday nights. If they have to do it remotely, we're going to do it that way. And then it's really carrying on the podcast. And I think the next step is um, really finding the boundaries of what we can do with the podcast, with the long form episodes. And then also, um, I have some things in the works where there are going to be these other shorter bonus episodes where um, it'll be, hey, this is just a quick 15 minutes, but I wanted to introduce you to this band. Or, hey, this is just a quick 15 minutes interviewing this person about this club or you know, whatever in that. So if you subscribe to the podcast, you're going to get more than just those Wednesday long form episodes that I want you to just wake up and be like, whoa, she released something new while I was sleeping. What is this? And it's, oh, this is a brand new band she thought I would like. Or, hey, um, you know, we're going to do a 15 minute taste test on uh, the new Metallica whiskey and be able to talk to the distiller or I just want there to be constantly some new surprises and benefits and to continue to keep um, the community together. I know a lot of people when I announced that the war room was going to go from being a nightly thing to a weekly thing, a lot of people commented and said, you're not going to make us pay. And there were a lot of people that were worried that the war room was going to change. And I have no intention of changing the war room. It's perfect the way that it is. I mean, obviously, I can do a better job. Um, and once I bring in more guests and really start to expand it to be a legitimate show, um, rather than just me in the war room with my little tripod talking into my phone, that it's got to grow and move forward and be better, uh, which is why I started my YouTube channel. So if you don't have Facebook, you can now watch the War Room videos after the fact on YouTube, on the Mistress Carrie YouTube channel, which a lot of people don't even know that that's out there yet, but it is now. And if you go back 
all of the War Room episodes, starting with Mike Shu, are all up on YouTube. But then there is going to be, yeah. I'll have all the links in the uh, Oscar Mike radio post for that. Too, oh, so. perfect. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then I think, you know, there are going to be some other things like a lot of artists, especially right now, are using Patreon to kind of find a place for all of extra content and things. And if there are people that want to support you in that way, um, because now this is my job, which is strange. Um, so I have a Patreon account coming. There's going to be a cameo account coming so that I know that there are people that want to have custom greetings and custom videos to be able to give to people. I've received a couple cameo videos from people that they've sent me and I loved them. So there's Mistress Carrie Patreon and Mistress Carrie cameo coming. Um, and then I'm hoping that as this all grows, the world opens back up again. So all of those plans we had of actually all getting together and doing stuff in person oh for God. real and going to shows and doing all of that. Um, and then the other thing is I'm almost finished with MCHQ. And once I'm able to do podcast episodes in person, the goal is also to have the companion videos like with, with your doing too, is that, you know, I gotta, I'm growing one step at a time. So right now I'm focusing on getting all of the audio right, but the video part of the podcast is also something that's coming as well. And, and hopefully sooner than later, but it's a lot of work. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I can't believe I'm doing this. One. My only piece of advice I would say is the cool thing about doing this is we get to make the rules. Yeah. We get, we get to change things if we want to. We can, if we don't like something, we can just pull it out and try something new. Uh, I was told to go video. I'm like, no one wants to look at this dome. I mean, no one. That's a great dome, dude. You got a good head to be bald. You're lucky. If I were bald, you would see all the dents and it would not look as good. You got a good head. So, yeah. So, I got to embrace it, right? And it, 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 Absolutely. And it forced me to grow. It forced me to grow and really work on my skills. And, and so... It's yours and have fun. Have fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. I really, really am. As scary as it can be, I'm loving it. I mean, when I have a technical issue and I've had some audio issues that I have had to grow and learn from and figure out in the 11th hour how to solve them, um, it's been really hard. scary and upsetting and th again, thank God, I've got some great friends that will pick up the phone when I call them in a panic. And I've been able to return that favor with some friends that are navigating new social media pages and podcasting of their own and figuring out all of this kind of stuff. But the failures are yours, but the, but the victories are yours too. And being able to say that, yeah, this is mine now that it's my vision and it's my voice. And if I make a mistake, I got to own it. But when it works, that it's okay for me to take the credit. It's okay for me to be happy about it and to celebrate that success, which these are all new things for me. These are not things that come easily to me. I am used to celebrating the team. I'm used to celebrating the group of people around me that make it happen and right now, when something good happens, I'm like, where's, where is everybody else that helped with that? And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, that was my idea. 
And there's something about, like I always joked when you work in radio, like you've never, when you build a house, when it's done, you could drive by it afterwards and go, see that? I built that. But with radio, it's like the, you didn't have a lot to show for your work. And I feel like I'm starting to have things to show for the work. And that is incredibly fulfilling. Isn't that because at, at, at its simplest form, you're, you're, you're creating a feeling in somebody and you're creating a connection with somebody and you're trying to connect with somebody, either you're talking to, to talk to other people or you're trying to make that person in their car going down Route 3 with bumper-to-bumper traffic feel a certain way or feel like there's a bit of normalcy in their world. And, and that's, that's hard to quantify. People don't understand. It is. I mean, I worked in an industry where they tried to quantify it with ratings that were always fluky and they were never predictable, but it's the only thing that we had to measure any kind of level of success at all. And... That's a really hard roller coaster to ride for a long time. Anybody that's ever, you know, worked in something that was ratings driven or, um, you know, revenue driven where you've got to meet deadlines and you've got to meet sales expectations and all of that. Um, it's incredibly stressful. And I'm learning a new part of that stress now because I've got to find a way to take all of this new stuff that I'm building and eventually be able to make a living doing it because that's the biggest jump for me is that um, I've got to be able to make this my job and not just a passion. It was both at the radio station. It's been just a passion, but there is going to come a time sooner than later where this is going to have to be a job for me that I can actually say, you know, like I'll tell you, it hit me the, the day after I did the last nightly war room with Mike Shue, the next day I traveled and I got on a plane and I was making small talk with someone on a plane and it was after a connection. And so that, you know, I wasn't around Boston. Nobody had any idea who I was. And they said, what do you do? And I didn't know how to answer the question for the first time in my life. I, it, it literally I sat there for a second with my mouth open because I was like, uh, I don't know what I do. Like, how do I answer before it would just come out? Oh, I work at a radio station or I work in radio or whatever. And then they, they would always be the, Oh really? That's cool. Are you a DJ? And then I, that would be the conversation. But all of a sudden I was like, um, well, I actually own a media company and I host a podcast and I have a video show. And like, I was like, this is my answer now on what I do. I mean, it's the littlest things, but these things, they happen. And so now it's like, okay, now I need to take that company and that video show and that podcast. And it's got to be all of those things that I need it to be now in order for me to be able to do it without making it just a hobby that I do on the weekends. Well, I, I think this is a great time to do that. And you're fortunate you have people behind you who, in the industry, who want to connect with you. You listen to Corey, you listen to you know, the Shinedown guys, you listen to the Bad Wolves dude. And it, it's, it's, you're bringing something that people want to see. So I think there's potential there. I don't know what the right answer is. I mean, this whole year has blown up everything about 
you know, podcasting. And the upside down world on Stranger Things, man. Nothing is normal. Amen. Amen. So is there anybody, you know, as we wind down that you want to shout out to or acknowledge at this point? Because, I mean, you, you, this didn't happen in a vacuum, but you did do all the work. But there were nights where, uh, I think it's the Mike Shoe night where I'm like, wow. I mean, just the way you guys played off each other. Half I miss half. him so much. Oh, it breaks my heart that I don't see him every day. It was just, and I'm not trying to get all fanboy on you, but people don't understand. I try to tell people, you don't understand how hard that was and how good that was. How hard it is to do well and how good it was. You know, I've dabbled in this, as you know, and hopefully, you know, I hope to do it for a long time, but I appreciate what it takes to have that synergy on two mics at the same time live with no cuts. It's not easy. No, and you can tell that he and I have worked together for years. I mean, as soon as we get back together in the same room, it's like it never left. He and I have always been that way. And, you know, I've held out a little bit of hope that there could be a possibility of he and I working together again someday because I just... I mean, if he tags me in a tweet and I get that notification, like I get so happy and I have no idea if he feels the same way about me. I hope he does, but I just miss him so much. He is the smartest, the most well-rounded, articulate, intelligent person I have ever worked with, bar none. And he is as passionate about his love of music as he is passionate about his love of disc golf and Italian sandwiches and beers. I mean, he just has this amazing, well-rounded, you know, look at the world. And he is an amazing husband and a devoted father. And he is everything that you would think he would be. And then some. And so it, I think that that love came across in that War Room episode that it was just so nice having him there. Um, but as far as like the shout outs go, like my friend, Sean, who's been one of the people that has been helping me with a lot of the equipment stuff. My friend, Jim from RPM Dynamics was one of the people or the person that, that found all the gear for me. Like Jim had the connections to be able to find the microphones I needed and the equipment that I needed. Uh, my friend, Dave, who we talked about extensively in the war room, it was his grandmother that chugged the Bud Light. When she recovered from the coronavirus. So Dave is the one that helped me with all of the software and navigating that whole production process in the war room now. And he has been instrumental with helping me get the war room every week. I think the show looks better. I think the camera angles are better. The lighting is better. The graphics are better. Uh, this week, being able to bring in virtual guests, the show is getting better. I know there's going to come a time where I'm going to go back and watch those old episodes of me talking into my cell phone with bad lighting in March of 2020 and be like, what was I doing? But Dave has been such a huge help on that front. Um, you know, obviously my friend Brian helping with all of the shirts and also uh, you asked what else is coming in the future. There is an entire line of Mistress, Mistress Carrie merchandise that is being built right now with Brian's help. My friend Christine at Latini Creative Solutions is hard at work. We have another meeting at the end of this week. 
working on, in conjunction with Brian, on all of the new merch that we're doing. Um, my cousin Kim actually uh, is working on my website because that's what she does for a living. Thank God. Like I said, I'm so lucky to be surrounded by all of these people. And so she's actually putting the website together and um, there's a blog coming and an online store coming and an event calendar coming and a lot of amazing things that are still in the construction phase. But I think that every few weeks now, there's going to be a new announcement about another layer and another layer and another layer. And I think by the time we get to your episode 250 or so, my life is going to look a lot different than it does at episode 200 because it definitely looks different than episode 100 and episode 62 or 64. Well, well, most definitely. It's it's just crazy. And um, all I'm going to say is this. I I see the images and the screen coming up and I'm like, oh, yeah, she's layering. You know, she's got her scene set up. I'm like, Yeah. I get really nerd about that. I really like seeing that. I'm figuring it out. New new tricks can be taught to old dogs. We can learn new tricks every damn day. That's right. So I just, um, you know, when you came on for number 62, I I, I was less than nobody in the podcast world. And it's kind of funny how I've grown over the last two years. And you gave a, a, a dude over Skype, you know, some of your time and, it's not like it was now. I definitely understand what you're saying, but it, it was that willingness of your time to, you know, spend with me. And I learned a lot. Like I took notes of what not to do and how I screwed up and totally, you know, foobarred some of it <laughs> and worked on improving. And I really, I don't know why I like doing this, but I really get a lot of satisfaction out of it. And there's been times where other people have come to me for advice and for, you know, check this out where, you know, to follow your example of, of being that professional and, and giving back to someone who's trying to get their own thing going really stuck with me because, you know, just, that's not lost on me. You didn't have to give me the time of day and not really. I mean, there's so many people who've told me no that, you know, the people who tell me yes are really special to me. So what I'm trying to say is, yeah, I've done 200 of these. It's great to talk with you tonight. Look forward to talking with you again in person, hopefully. Yeah, someday we'll figure it out how to do it. When there's not a global pandemic, we'll be able to do it in person. On our motorcycles, it'd be, it'd be fucking badass. But, you know, I, I just, um, you know, really appreciate from the military perspective, everything you've done for my brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, when I first moved to Boston, I knew nothing about this area, but WAF was a constant my, my entire time here. Back in 1999, I knew nothing about, you know, I, I called Worcester, Worcester. I mean, you know, <laughs> every, everything I could do wrong, I did, but WAF was there and, and, and so were you. And so this is a really special moment for me and I'm glad to share it with you. And I'm really excited to, you know, be a part of a, a very small part of cocktails in the war room and your podcast and to see that grow just, just motivates me to do better. It really does. Thank well, you're so paying much. it back too, because you know, I wanted to help you in the early stages of what you were doing, but now you're helping me get the word out about all of the new things that I've got going on because I don't have that big bombastic radio station to make all of this noise about now. And that's what it's supposed to be, right? That's what we're all supposed to be doing is, hey, I'm in a position to help you right now. I'm going to do that without the expectation that you would help me in return someday. 
But now you're like, well, hey, I want to talk about all of this stuff. And I've been so lucky that there have been some amazing podcasters and industry people, uh, magazine people that have wanted to call and talk to me and say, hey, can I interview you about everything that you have going on? And this week I hit 75 countries that are listening to my podcast now, which I, I don't know who started listening in French Polynesia, but that's the country I got this week that's new and it's amazing. And so I love the fact that while I may have helped you in that way, that now you're part of my growth story and my new horizon that I'm charging to and, you know, that you are a part of the Warham family and that there are these communities now that are all of these people that are legitimately, that was one of the things that I said from the very early stages of the Warham is that we're not getting political in here. We're not going to belittle people. And if you're an asshole, I'm just going to block you and kick you out. There's just, I don't have any time for it. Right. And with very few exceptions, everybody's been amazing. And so that's the only thing I ask of everybody is like, Hey guys, do me a favor, like share the war room stuff. Share the podcast episodes. If you've got a veteran friend, share the Jonathan Hill episode with them and say, hey, you know what? Listen to this. Or if you've got a friend that's a fan of the Bad Wolves, send them that episode and say, listen to this. And, you know, you should probably come in the war room with us on Tuesday nights so that we can grow this thing, not only because I need a job, but because, because this community is something that people are really valuing. And we are finding companionship there. And we are finding our place where so many people are feeling like a boat without an anchor right now. And I don't feel that way. I don't feel like I don't have an anchor. I don't feel like I'm adrift. And I want everybody to kind of find that with what we're doing. No, as we say in Hawkeye, uh, you, your radar, your, your tracking radar <laughs> acquisition radar, if you found the target, your tracking radar is on. We're getting ready to launch the missile. It's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Well, one day we'll do this in person, but until yeah. then, you until know, then, this is good. At least I can see your face. You can see my face this time. And, and yeah. I mean, this, this was a very hard thing to get used to doing, but hey, it's here is what it is. I feel so, bad that I didn't wear your shirt and then I didn't tell you to wear your War Room t-shirt. Like we should have, we should have <sighs> worn each other's merch. I didn't even think of it until right now. I didn't think it. Next time. Such Next failures. Time. We, suck. we suck. We I know. Suck so sorry. Next time. Next Thank time. You for the shirt. Next time. Next time we'll do it. Yeah, it, for it'll, sure. It'll be fantastic. Well, hey, you know, you know, before we know it, you'll be at number 100. It's going to be a freaking awesome ride. I can't wait to be there. I'm going to raise my Oscar Mike rate. Well, of course, there Ooh. we go. I'm there you go. Mike radio glass to you. Nicely done. Let's freaking do I'm this. I'm sorry I didn't bring my cocktails in the war room glasses in here with me. I just, I grabbed myself a seltzer and was like, okay. I'm drinking seltzer too, as a matter of fact, in this. My favorite. I love it. Well, folks, hey, you, you've, you've hung with me for 200 of these. I really appreciate Congratulations. it. Congratulations. It's so awesome. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I've enjoyed having Mistress on. This is her third time on. Every time gets better. And, um, if you're not watching and listening to her stuff, it's all going to be in the Oscar Mike radio post. There's no excuse. Yeah, no excuse. So as we say in Oscar Mike radio, uh, we are Oscar Mike 
mission in flight like a missile in flight. This has been number 200. Mistress, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. No problem. Here we go.